WKNC 88.1. You are now listening to Eye on the Triangle, and I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. It's, only, it's almost Halloween, and we have lots of good stuff for you. I bring you a recipe on the perfectly toasted pumpkin seeds. Jake has an editorial about the recent vandalism against the GLBT Center. Bree has a community calendar. And Nick brings us an interview with David Dean of the Office of Sustainability about Campus Sustainability Day. We also have sports, English Premier soccer news, and much more. But first, let's go to Katie Costa for weather. Katie, it's been a bit chilly. What's with that? Yeah, Chris, it really has been chilly, but we've been seeing overall pleasant weather during the daytime. Um, and over the past uh, few days, in fact, we've been seeing sunny weather and in the 70s. And we will continue to see this beautiful sunny weather through Thursday, thanks to high pressure in place over the southeastern states. But Thursday evening, a cold front will sweep through the triangle and bring rainy conditions and much colder temperatures for the remainder of the week and weekend. Now, taking a look in more detail at your forecast over the next five days, expect temperatures to drop down to a brisk 45 degrees tonight in mostly clear skies. Now, tomorrow we will see sunny skies and a high of 76. Tomorrow evening will be slightly warmer than tonight with temperatures only dropping off into the lower 50s. Thursday, expect mostly sunny skies and a high of 77. Now, as this cold front makes its way into the triangle Thursday evening, expect a slight chance of rain and temperatures to drop down to 49 degrees. And Friday, we will only see a high of 58 degrees and a 30% chance of rain. This is almost a 20-degree drop in temperature from what we have been seeing here across the triangle. So be sure to put on a nice warm fall sweater before heading out the door Friday morning. Now, our chances will increase to about 40% Friday evening, and temperatures will drop down to 41, so be sure to dress warm and have an umbrella handy if you are planning on heading out downtown Friday night. You'll finally clear out by Saturday with partly sunny skies, but only a high of 57 degrees on Saturday, so it will feel cool out there, especially during the evening on Saturday, since we will cool down to almost freezing temperatures with a low of 35 degrees. And expect another cold but sunny day on Sunday with highs in the upper 50s and lows in the upper 30s. So, Chris, it looks like we'll have even chillier conditions Friday and this weekend. So, overall, a very cold Halloween weekend ahead. I don't know about you, but I'm heading out to the haunted Hillsboro hike Saturday night and not looking forward to experiencing almost freezing temperatures in my Halloween costume. Yeah, I uh, wish I had brought an extra sweater today. I am very cold. However, let's talk about Halloween for a moment. Yeah, definitely. What are you going to be? I am going to be Aphrodite. I see. What is that going to look like? Well, it's the goddess of love and passion. And (laughs) so I'm going to have a nice uh, white robe with gold leaves and a gold headband draped around me. (laughs) Draped around me. That sounds great. Yeah. I will be, hopefully, I will be a Lego. I'm still working on the costume. What color? I think I'm going to be a blue Lego. Nice. That's what I think of when I think of Legos. But I guess I'll be wearing a sweater underneath. Yeah, definitely a good idea. And hopefully we'll have sound bites from the Hillsborough hike next week on our show. But let's move along now with the community calendar with Bree. University Theater is celebrating the 100th birthday of Tennessee Williams by presenting two Southern stories, Suddenly Last Summer and Something Unspoken, at the Kennedy McKilvey Studio Theater in Thompson Hall. They will be held October 26th through Sunday, October 30th, and Wednesday, November 2nd through Sunday, November 6th. Evening shows will begin at 7.30 with Sunday matinees at 2 p.m. Tickets can be found at Ticket Central before the event. The University Sustainability Office will celebrate Sustainability Day on Friday, October 28th at Harris Fields from 4 to 7. It will be a Halloween theme to kick off Thriller Weekend, the UAB's 60th anniversary event. Campus Sustainability will hold a contest for the best overall costume as well as the most recycled costume. 
Other activities will include bobbing for apples, recycled bowling, pumpkin painting, and more. And the first 500 visitors eat free. In the name of Halloween, Witherspoon, via UAB, will be showing The Devil's Backbone, a 1998 winner of the International Horror Film Festival, on Wednesday, October 26, from 7 to 9. The film is rated R and is set in an orphanage with a fallen Republican war hero as the protagonist. China Sound, a Chinese culture communication program affiliated with the university's Chinese Student and Scholar Friendship Association, is launching its first activity, From Mooncake to Ghosts, on Wednesday, October 26, from 6.40 until 8. It is a celebration of traditional Chinese festivals and will include readings and movies based on Chinese ghost stories. The website warns that the lecture will include a scary component. This is Bri Ab with the Community Calendar. Campus Sustainability Day is coming up fast, and Nick, our contributor, caught up with David Dean, Outreach Coordinator of the NC State Office of Sustainability, to see what's going to be happening. Campus Sustainability Day is right around the corner, and it has a lot to offer. To find out more about what's going on, I spoke to the Office of Sustainability Outreach and Communications Coordinator, David Dean. So I hear Campus Sustainability Day is coming up. That's right. Friday evening, 4 to 7 p.m. on Harris Field. First 500 eat free. And uh, there'll be prizes and games and all kinds of stuff going on. The object of the event is to help students realize that sustainable practices can be both fun and easy. It's got a Halloween carnival theme. So we've got stuff like recycled cornhole. There's a Wolf Wheels ride that's ending at Harris Field. And there is face painting. There's going to be free pumpkins for students. And there's going to be a pumpkin painting table as well. But I'd say the biggest thing that we've got going on is the costume contest. The costume contest involves costumes made from recycled materials. The more, the better. In fact, the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association will be hosting a scrap exchange at the event where students can make costumes or find the final touch for their costume. I'm thinking there's got to be an industrious student out there (laughs) that can uh, duplicate Lady Gaga's meat dress. But the problem is I don't know if we want recycled meat. Um, <laughs> maybe just maybe just like something that looks like meat. Right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> faux meat. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but yeah. Um, so we've got about five hundred dollars worth of prizes to give away during the costume contest. It's going to be great. Uh, concert tickets, items from the bookstore, items from different campus departments, and um, all kinds of other stuff. Thanks to the help of the Union Activities Board, the event will also be hosting jugglers and a magician. Total carnival atmosphere. In addition, for the entire month of October, Tucker and Owen residence halls have been in competition to see which can save more energy, and the results will be announced on Friday night. October is also National Energy Awareness Month. So we're just asking folks to do one thing and help change your state. The goal is a 5% reduction in campus energy use for the year. So our annual electric bill, we average $22 million. So a 5% savings would be about $1, million, $1.1 Impressive. Yeah. According to Mr. Dean, similar campaigns at other universities have yielded anywhere from 5% to 25% reduction in energy consumption. So what other steps are you taking in, in this campaign to try and spread the word about what you're trying to do? Well, we've got hit-the-switch stickers that are up on all of the classroom and um, administrative buildings on campus. 
And then we are going into residence halls over the coming months and we'll be putting up the hit the switch stickers in all the residence halls. We have launched a shut the sash campaign for the labs. One of the largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions and our energy use, our electric usage, are the fume hoods in the labs. So if you've ever spent any time in a lab, like this giant box that you do all your experiments and, and your research in, and that thing sucks air just right out the top of the roof. And so we're trying to educate the lab users on keeping the sash at a more manageable level because the lower you keep it, the less energy that it's using. Another program that the Sustainability Office has is called the Passport Program. Students, faculty, and staff may pick up a passport from the West Dunn Building and receive credit for attending certain events listed on the Campus Sustainability Day website, go.ncsu.edu. Getting the passport punched at the events enters the holder into a competition to win a solar backpack. It's pretty crazy. Um, we're giving them out. We bought some to give away, and we only have a couple. You know, they're they're not cheap. So it's a pretty big deal for us to be giving these things away. Um, and it's a great way for students to definitely learn about what all is going on on campus. Even in the next few days, there are many events students can attend. The Wolfpack Student Environmental Association is hosting a film on Wednesday night and the Center for Environmental Farming Systems is holding World Food Day in conjunction with the Campus Farmer's Market. The Sustainability Office will also be at the Farmer's Market this week, giving away prizes during a Jeopardy game on the Brickyard. There's a bunch going on right now, and uh, just, you know, get involved. For more on what's going on around campus and the Sustainability Office, visit sustainability.ncsu.edu. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Last Monday, the NC State community awoke to find some hate speech spray-painted on the GLBT Center here at NC State. Our contributor Jake was affected by the act and has prepared this editorial. Viewpoint on Eye on the Triangle. Evan's opinions on the latest news. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU. Last Monday, the GLBT Center in Harrelson Hall was vandalized in an incident that sent a shockwave to the North Carolina State community. And while the story may have faded from the headlines, it forces us as a community to acknowledge a rather nasty truth. That even for all the progress that has been made, and for all of the support given to the GLBT, there are still those individuals in the community that choose to spread discord and intolerance through cowardly acts. Those among us that choose to spread hate and then hide behind the exhausted curtain of the right to freedom of speech. To those of you that were involved in last Monday's vandalism, there is a time and a place to express your opinion, but if you are unable to speak your mind in front of a group of your peers, if you are unable to think of a respectful way to voice your thoughts, then perhaps it is best you don't say anything. You have the right to voice your opinion. You do not have the right to vandalize school property, and you certainly do not have the right to threaten another group of students, especially one that is at this time fighting for equal rights in North Carolina and across the country. This kind of behavior reflects poorly on our school, trivializes the plight of thousands of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered people, and unfairly associates those who may respect the opinions of others and still disagree with the kind of hateful acts we witnessed last Monday night. And it's not just discrimination against the GLBT community we are combating, 
but also racism, sexism, and all other forms of discrimination on campus. But for every person willing to spread a message of hate, there are a 100 students willing to stand up for what is right and speak out against discrimination. The support at last week's rally was overwhelming. NC State is and should be a place of inclusiveness, a place to come and be exposed to different kinds of people, to learn about others and about themselves in the process. The diversity on campus makes us stronger, and if all of this sounds a little cliched, it's because it's true. And it's not something we should proclaim at a rally and then go about our daily lives. It is something we should keep in mind every day, always aware of those around us, no matter how much we may agree or disagree with their views. Racism, sexism, and homophobia will unfortunately always exist. But so long as there are those willing to speak out against discrimination, NC State will always be a place of inclusiveness. Therein lies our strength. Jake Langlois, WKNC 88.1. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. With Halloween less than one week away, I'm getting excited. Seeing everyone in their ghoulish attire makes my year. And while I have yet to finalize my costume, the season is in full swing. Much to my delight, as I crunched the leaves on my walk home from a long day yesterday, I discovered my roommates carving pumpkins in the living room. A witch and a cat, I exclaimed as I saw their designs beginning to take shape. I also noticed a large bowl of the creepy innards that they had removed from the hollowed centers of their pumpkins. Now, I'm an avid composter and I hate to see things go to waste. So I got to work sorting the seeds from the pumpkiny flesh that was occupying the bowl on our table. What will you do with the seeds? My roommates asked. I'm going to roast them, I said. It's an easy process. And if you find yourself wondering what to do with your large bowl of pumpkin seeds, you can do this at home too. Basically, what you want to do is first clean the seeds well. What I did was I boiled them in a bit of salt water for about 20 minutes. Then I took them out and spread them on a cookie sheet. I put them in a 300-degree oven for about 10 minutes to get them nice and dry. Then, I mixed three cups of seeds with four teaspoons of melted butter and a pinch of salt. After the seeds were evenly coated with the salty butter mixture, I returned them to the oven for about 20 more minutes until they were nice and crispy. Since everyone's oven is not the same, and you find yours are not quite done, return them back to the oven for a few more minutes. I like my seeds a bit spicy, so I lightly sprinkled mine with some cayenne pepper and paprika for an added spice after they came out of the oven. But, don't worry, you don't have to go the spicy route. There are lots of flavors that you can put on your seeds. Some people have suggested putting brown sugar and cinnamon on theirs for a salty sweet flavor. I even found a recipe for orange zest and ginger pumpkin seeds. So, don't waste your seeds this Halloween. Get creative and roast them for a delicious and healthy treat. They're a hit at any Halloween party. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm here with Corey Smith from Technician, talking a little about sports. We seemed to pull it out against UVA last weekend. Corey, tell me about it. All right, so yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, big game this past weekend. Uh, first ACC opponent, uh, first ACC win for uh, NC State this past weekend. And they got it done on the offensive side of the ball with a uh, few characters that we normally see in most games. Uh, TJ Graham had to sit out the entire game because of uh, apparently, uh, Tom O'Brien didn't like something he was doing. Uh, we still haven't heard a lot of mention about that. And 
Tobias Palmer suffered a pregame concussion uh, just before the game. Was apparently farting around and uh, had a, suffered a concussion, so he was not able to play the entire game. And so basically, they ended up having to go out there with guys that a lot of people might not notice. Uh, Brian Underwood and uh, Tony Creasy had a big game as well. Uh, Brian Underwood got his first and second touchdowns of the game of his entire career. He's a freshman. And Tony Creasy, another a redshirt freshman, uh, both of them kind of went out there and showed glimpses of what the future might look like for NC State. Uh, the defense finally decided also to show up. Um, they've kind of suffered uh, some hu- some terrible losses as far as the defensive side of the ball. And turnovers have kind of been the story so far for the season. But uh, they've given up a lot of yardage, and turnovers have kind of saved them. Uh, but this week they had more turnovers. Uh, Brandon Bishop and David Emerson both got interceptions, and they gave up just uh, just a few yards, uh, just a little under 300 yards against a against an offense that really put up some huge numbers on the ground and through the air against a Georgia Tech team that has showed that they can do things good defensively as well. Uh, but like I said, David Emerson uh, now leads the nation. He led the nation going into the game. And now leads the nation with eight interceptions, and that is a 74-year-old record that was held by Art Rooney back in 1937. And so, huge deal there. He now has eight interceptions. I don't know if I mentioned that before. And uh, he still has five games to play to actually set that record for NC State. Art Rooney did it in 1937 and 1938, so I guess it's actually a, uh, a 73-year-old record. But... Huge deal for NC State, and that's kind of thrust him into the national spotlight. And I think a lot of people are expecting to see big things from him in the future. And he's only a retrograde sophomore. So that shows a lot of um, – I've mentioned glimpses from the two offensive players that, you know, it could be good co- going down the line. But uh, Emerson on the defensive side of the ball looks to be a great uh, pickup for the NC State. Yeah, let's talk about the young folks. Um, do you think that could be attributed to uh, Tom O'Brien's recruiting, or do you think it's just because we got some talented dudes that are young? Well, Tom O'Brien, uh, I, I kind of mentioned this in a Wolf Act earlier, uh, but he's he's kind of been criticized over his entire tenure that he's been here at NC State about not getting bigger-name recruits. And David Amerson coming in NC State didn't look like a big-name recruit, but it's more of Tom O'Brien's coaching abilities. Uh, he's he's taken recruits like Brandon Bishop, like um, uh, Tony Creasy, who came in here, like Audie Cole. Audie Cole came in here as a quarterback from Michigan, and he's become, I mean, he was nominated today as one of the 16 finalists for the Butkus Award uh, for the top linebacker in the nation. So he gets guys in here, fits them into their system, and maybe not recruiting very well, but he's shown that, his coaching ability and the coaching staff that he has can really turn these guys around and, you know, turn them into great players. And I think David Amerson is no exception to that, setting records for NC State and really going out there and doing a lot of things that not a lot of people probably expected out of him. So we're going to have to wait again until next year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I know this becomes a common theme and I know a lot of NC State play or a lot of NC State fans are sick of hearing it, but uh, you look at the way that everything sets up for next year in particular with a guy like Mike Glennon coming back. He's shown that he can do great things as a quarterback. And you've got guys like Tony Creasy returning. Uh, 
Uh, Mustafa Green returning. Brian Underwood has shown that he can do big things uh, from the wide receiver position. And when you look at it, the way this sets up for defense and offense next year, especially with the offensive line, even though they might not have been great at the beginning of the season, they're starting to get it together. And all of those guys are going to be back for next year, uh, with the exception of one senior. But it really looks like it's setting up well for next season and a few seasons down the road in particular. All right, well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about (laughs) next week. Yeah, so we're looking at the future once again. Uh, This coming up weekend, they have a big game against FSU, uh, Florida State, going down to face the Seminoles in Tallahassee. Uh, So that's that's a big deal for a lot of people. I know when people looked at this at the beginning of the season, they said this could have been a matchup against two 7-0 teams. It could have been a huge matchup, but hasn't really panned out. Both teams are um, both teams are four and three overall, and FSU is two and two in the ACC. NC State just earned their first win against Virginia in the in the conference, uh, but the defense is going to need to continue as dominance as the Seminole offense uh, has put up identical numbers in its past two games against Duke and Maryland and put up forty one points on the board, which is a huge number for for uh, for football. I mean, for any sport typically, but for football in particular, and they've only given up 16, uh, 16 points on the defense on both in both games. So both games have been identical, forty-one to sixteen, and this game doesn't also mean just one game in the conference. It also means a lot for bowl eligibility, and I know a lot of people aren't looking at the potential for making it to the ACC championship. But if this team still plans on it, they need to get a big win this weekend to get to five hundred in the conference and five and three overall. Um, and you look at the teams that this uh, that NC State's going to have to play coming up in its last five games, and FSU's a big opponent. Um, a lot of people are looking at UNC and Clemson as as t- really tough games. UNC and Clemson are combined twelve and three in the conference. Uh, Clemson is the number uh, seven team. I know last week uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they've gone up in the rankings. I'm pretty sure they're close to the top five now, and. That team looks to be a potential national title contender. We talk about one ACC team every year as a national title contender, but it never really pans out. But Clemson has gone undefeated thus far, and going against going against Clemson at home is going to be a big game. So they really need to get a big win this weekend to ensure that they can potentially be a bowl-eligible team because they have to get seven seven wins this season rather than six because they did face two FCS opponents. Corey Smith, as always, thanks so much for joining me. Yes, sir. And don't forget, tomorrow afternoon, about 7 o'clock p.m., Pulse of the Pack will be on, and Corey Smith is the host of that show. Yes, sir. We'll talk a lot more of the uh, FSU game as well as the UVA game, a little bit more in depth. We've got a few other topics to touch on. So, <laughs> Fantastic. Now we're going to move along. English Premier League soccer season is in full swing, and our contributor, Matt, is an avid soccer fan, or as they say, a goon. He has prepared some soccer news for you and for us. I'm here with Mike Jones. Uh, he is our daytime music director. That's right, and I'm also a massive soccer fan. Yes. Or as I like to call it, football, which is pretty much what everybody else calls it. Futbolista. But besides being a kind of a pretentious soccer fan, um, of course, the big news of the past week, which got lots of people tweeting. This week in Premier League soccer action saw the most exciting game of the season yet with arch-rivals Manchester United and Manchester City meeting in a much-anticipated fixture. It's hard to put into words what this game can mean from both sides, with Manchester City only recently finding itself in a place where it can compete with the perennial powerhouse Manchester United, and Manchester United eager to show that they're the top dogs with a win in the Manchester Derby. 
Now, before I get to the scoreline, I wanted to mention that Manchester United haven't lost in 25 Premier League games. That unbeaten record, however, would come to an end as Manchester City defeated Manchester United 6-1. to To repeat that, the final score was Manchester City 6, Manchester United 1. This was Manchester United's worst home defeat since 1931 and marks City's second win in the Manchester Derby since 1976. Both teams started the first half well. The only thing separating the teams at the half was Mario Balotelli's professional finish, putting the ball just inside the far post in the 22nd minute. Just after the half, though, in the 47th minute, Manchester United's defender Johnny Evans brought down Balotelli in a clear goal-scoring scenario which earned him a deserved red card. Manchester City never looked back, dominating the game from that moment onward. Balotelli scored again in the 60th minute, Aguero in the 69th. Manchester United had a glimmer of hope, though, when Darian Fletcher put in a strike in the 81st minute. The hope was short-lived as Manchester City came back with Dzeko scoring in the 89th minute, Silva scoring in stoppage time, and Dzeko scoring again in stoppage time. That's three goals in five minutes for City to round out their 6-1 historic defeat of Manchester United. Totally worth waking up for at 8.30 Sunday morning to watch. I'm serious. Next time there's a big game in the morning, we're all going to come over to my place and we'll watch it. I promise my roommates won't mind. And now to recap this weekend's actions from my favorite club, Newcastle United. Newcastle played this weekend against a struggling Wigan Athletic, and Newcastle United showed that they have what it takes to stay in the top half of the table by defeating Wigan one to nothing. Wigan came out with everything to prove, and try as they might, they couldn't break Newcastle's back line. Newcastle captain Fabricio Colaccini picks up my man of the match as he kept his boys in order, closing down space and blocking more than one shot to keep a clean sheet for Newcastle. It wasn't just the defense that kept Newcastle in the game, though. Newcastle's midfield played in great form. Czech Teote, Newcastle's star defensive midfielder, had a great game, and the ball was nearly glued to his feet as he maneuvered through the Wigan defenders. The goal came late, though, with Sylvian Marveau playing a perfectly weighted pass to Johan Caballé, who curled a beauty into the top corner, just out of reach for Wigan's goalkeeper in the 81st minute. Newcastle manager Alan Pardew, commenting on Caballé's performance, said, Johan is a really classy player, and he brings an elegance to us that everybody really appreciates. Newcastle, and I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but they continue to defy all expectations, being one of only two teams undefeated in the Premier League, the other being Manchester City, currently sitting pretty in fourth place with a game against Stoke coming up on the horizon. It should be another opportunity for Newcastle to secure three more points and continue their incredible form. And now back to Manchester for a bit of weird soccer news. Manchester City's Mario Balotelli set his house on fire over the weekend, the night before his big game against Manchester United, no less, because he and his friends were setting off fireworks in his bathroom. That's right, the man, fully grown man, was setting off fireworks in his bathroom. This guy really is a gift that keeps on giving, though, because he is now officially Manchester's ambassador for fireworks safety. It's important children should not mess with fireworks, Balotelli says. They can be very dangerous if they are not used in the right way. People should follow the fireworks code, warns a man who had to escape from his burning home early on Saturday morning after fireworks were set off in a bathroom in his house. Balotelli blames his friends, though, and yes, I'm sure we all believe you, Balotelli. However, we also remember that you are the same man who was apprehended for throwing darts out of a second-story window at pedestrians on the sidewalk below. 
In related volatility news, to celebrate their victory over their Derby rivals, Mario drove his Bentley convertible around Manchester City Center, blasting rap music at full volume and high-fiving fans. What a guy. I'm confident in saying that if I were a celebrity, I would be a celebrity like Mario Balotelli. Except, you know, without all the burning your house down with fireworks part. For Eye on the Triangle, Premier League Soccer News, I'm Matt Gardner. History happens all the time, and Dave and Jake are here to remind us what happened this week in history. Hello, and welcome to This Week in History. Sitting in for Nick Savage, I'm Jake. And I'm Dave. And And this week in 1618, English adventurer, writer, and courtier... What the fuck? Courtier? English adventurer Sir Walter Raleigh was beheaded for allegedly conspiring against James I of England. In 1618. In 1682, the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania was founded... In 1760, George III becomes King of Great Britain. In 1863, 18 countries met in Geneva to agree to form the International Red Cross. In 1864, Nevada is admitted as the 36th U.S. state. Well, that's it for Eye on the Triangle this week. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you have a comment or concern or want to suggest a story, give us a call at 860-881 or email us at publicaffairs.wknc.org. Next week, we will be checking in on how the occupation of Raleigh is going and much more. So stay tuned. Until then, I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. Thanks for listening and have a great week.